We're not trying to sympathize with an anti-Semite, for example. But what we're saying is that there's something going on here that we have not successfully identified for thousands of years. I want you to have that feeling in your guts like it's uncomfortable and you want to run away. Let's open it up and look inside and see the mechanics of what's going on. And it turns out it's not just what we see with our eyes. If you don't unite, you're gonna have trouble because the purpose of this people is to bring unity to all humanity, to be an example of unity to all of humanity. I want us to prove Hitler wrong. I want us to show that we can unite when there is no common enemy and there is no common booty. You think we can do it? I know we can do it. The Jews saw them all, beat them all, and is now what he always was. All things are mortal but the Jew. All other forces pass, but he remains. What is the secret of his immortality? Okay, okay listen, listen, enough of that shit. This is a podcast, and we're, we're not going to try to find, we're going to find the solution to anti-Semitism, okay? We're going to stop that right here, right now, from this stinking basement. When we get to the bottom of this, we're going to read from this mystery book, which you're not going to find out about until the end of the series, and we're going to really entertain every perspective. We're not going to say, oh, you can't say this, you can't say that. No, we're going to say everything. Because if we're not going to be able to talk about it, we're not going to be able to solve it. You know, we're going to really grab you in the kishke and we're going to squeeze until we get something, right? Either a bowel movement or a freaking solution. We want to know what happened, what happened 3,500 years ago in Babylon that started this whole Meshuggahs. And we want to finish it here in 2020. That's it. Said, do you know the story of Walter Ratnow? He was well, a Jew <laughs> in Germany. He, he was a Jew in Germany right between the wars. Actually, he rose to power right around uh, World War One. I. I think his story represents, to some extent, the, the story of the Jews in Germany. He was, Let's read his he, story. He was in the government. He, he was also, yeah, he was a, actually a minister eventually in the government. But let's read his story from historian Nigel Jones. Ratnow was one of the most formidable figures in the early 20th century Germany. A Jewish industrialist, thinker, and diplomat, he built the enormous AEG electronics and engineering conglomerate into a powerhouse of the German economy. During the First World War, when Britain's naval blockade was starving Germany of raw, of vital raw material imports, Ratnow became his nation's economic overlord. Ratnow husbanded Germany's dwindling resources and directed its industrial production, brilliantly improvising to give a lease of life to its failing war effort. His work, according to some historians, prolonged German resistance by months or even years. It also sowed the seeds of hatred in the mind of Germany's anti-Semitic nationalists, who saw in Ratnow not a great patriot brilliantly managing scarcity, but a rich Jew cornering markets. After the Weimar Republic sought out the talented Ratnow, making him a foreign minister. So the Weimar After the Republic war. is yeah is is the ruling after. of Germany during yeah we'll, yeah we'll explain it yeah okay. it's just after the war. Mm-hmm. Ratnow duly stoked the rights the right wing's rage in 1922 by negotiating the Treaty of Rapallo with the nascent Soviet Union, when insisting that Germany had to fulfill the provision of the deeply unpopular Treaty of Versailles. Uh, the fanatical right in Germany trampled. Basically, the treaty said the treaty said that Germany must pay reparations to half the world they try to conquer. Uh, the fanatical right wing in Germany tramped the street, yelling, "Knock down Walter Ratnow, the godforsaken Jew!" Some prepared to do just that. 
On June 24, 1922, a rogue right-wing terrorist group uh, murdered Ratnow as he drove to his office from his home in Berlin. His assassination did not crush the infant republic, but it was a clear sign that Germans would not agree to Jewish acculturation among them, and it proved that for all their efforts, Jews were still pariahs. That's a story. Jews trying to do good and being met with less than popular parades on the streets, right? I think maybe maybe we try to bite more than we can chew. As Jews? In this as, <laughs> as Jews, well, as you and I, I think the fact that we think that we can read from, from a mystery book and get people to change their minds. I mean, we're so wired to intuitively believe uh, and agree with what which we believe to be true and, and uh, programmed to disagree with anything we believe to be not true. Meaning, people need to spend time with us, Leo. They, they, really, they need to be bathed in this. They need to hear it because if you just hear us at the out, outset, you know, or just hear some soundbite, you think that we're uh, sympathetic towards anti-Semites. You think that we're a bunch of white, smart asses. I was called that before. Yeah, I was called way worse. <laughs> and, and not only that, I, I find all the time that when I'm speaking to people about this topic, they're constantly misquoting me or constantly, even like after reading my book, like, you know, the, the book says, for example, we are not, we don't need to change human nature. Human nature is natural. All we need to do is, is change the goal for which we use our nature, right? And then I'm talking to people and it always comes up, you're never going to change human nature. You know, it's like, no, we, we don't. It's, it's like, even, you're not changing human nature. Yeah. Right. So, you, so can, you can change human nature. So the things we're saying, it's not uh, anything that a person wouldn't understand themselves if they could take the time, slow down the the reactions and, and begin to understand it. But it, it, it takes some time for a person to do that. And otherwise, a person is hearing their script that's just constantly running and they, they can't hear what we're trying to say. We're not trying to sympathize with an anti-Semite, for example. But what we're saying is that there's something going on here that we have not successfully identified for thousands of years. I think what's, uh, what, what makes it so difficult is that we live at a time where calling out any one group to say that they're somehow a little different is frowned upon, to say the least. And then going the next step further and saying, kaka, well, if you kaka. suffer any... If you, if, if you say it's, it's, if, it, if it's for, for LGBTQ, it's fine. If it's for Black Lives Matter, it's fine. For, for now, yeah, I think, but I think if, if we let these movements keep going in like 50 years, someone would say, well, enough of that. We're just regular people, right? Like, we're nothing special. Once you have your uh, seeming place in society, yeah. you don't want to be, right? And I think uh, we hear that a lot from, from our Jewish friends. It's like, we're just Americans. We just live right. here. Why do you keep mentioning that we're different people? I'm like, but you're being targeted for being Jews. People, people come out against you or people have different expectations of you. No, 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 let's just be like everyone else. And that's what I'm trying to break. And I think we need uh, listeners to to be able to put their emotions aside a little bit and, and listen. And I, I know we have some friends who can do it. Okay, so so if, uh, if the situation is there's a bunch of Woody Allen sitting around and then some big bad German guy came and killed them for no reason, then okay, fine. But if there's another story going on here, then we... It, it, it behooves us to try and understand what is actually happening. You know, if every single time in history there was just a bunch of 
passive Jews just being nice, and then all of a sudden a bad guy came and killed them. Okay, so then that's I mean, that's the story that everybody has running in their mind, this small group of people, and they were just trying to live peacefully, and then someone came and killed them. But maybe there's something else here, and we're not, God forbid, saying that this Jewish people, like they're, they're evil, and they, you know, they, just that we have to understand where the solution is. You know, when you first have a problem, like the first time your, your back goes out or something, you know, bothers you, you, you put a lot of attention into it. But after a while, you just kind of get, you know, you live with it, right? Oh, I can't eat sugar. Okay, fine. You, you know, the first year is like, oh my God, I can't eat sugar. Later on, it's just like you find a way around it. We, we, we adapt. People adapt uh, very well. And uh, I think uh, we, what we're trying to do is is not accept it. It's not good. I don't want to live with anti-Semitism. That's what we started this thing. I think this whole conversation we're having right now said is a, is a preamble to talking about the, the big one. Talking about, I think it's okay to talk about the first temple, the second temple, no one was there. The Spanish thing, it rings a bell, but the Holocaust is a big one. One of my uncles had a number on his arm. He survived it. My grandma's brother was murdered. Yeah, my, my uncle, who I sat by his uh, Passover table growing up, uh, he was already second generation here in America. He fought in World War II. It's close to home. Who are we to talk about these things? Who are we to go through history, draw our conclusions, and try to feed them to people? Well, we're two Jews, and <laughs> we... You know, like Jews, we don't know when to stop. This could be our downfall, but it could also be our, our ticket out. Like, it was so smart as a nation, and yet we haven't figured that one out. We haven't. We invented every... I just read about a Jewish-Israeli uh, scientist. She invented, invented a, a plastic alternative. Everything, all the good things about plastic, except that it, it dissolves in water, and you can drink the water when it's done, Right. We have all these great inventions. Check this out. I did a health, um, like a whole thing on my, I, when I, at this year, at my birthday, I was like, okay, finally I'm going to do the whole blood workup, the whole everything, just check everything and see how I'm doing. Okay. They showed me, they sl slid me into this machine and then it gave a cross section of my uh, midsection. Thorst, uh, yeah. From, from as if you cut me a in half. A cross section of your midsection. Nice. You, as if you cut me in half, like in those uh, magic shows, and you were looking down uh, from like half of my body down. And what you would see as you look down is like you'd see my spine, the top, you know, my spine in the back and my organs in the front. And in between all the organs, you know, there's a lot of them in there, the kidneys, the liver, all those things. Uh, uh, it's a clear visual, right? You're looking down at a sliced me in half, right? So in between all the organs is uh, fat, right? That's what we have in between our, our organs, fat and stuff like that. It was so interesting to see that picture because growing up, I always thought like, you know, do a lot of sit-ups, for example, and build them like, you know, you eat potato, like you're like a fat person. That's just a lot of potato chips, like layering up on the outer levels there, right? A lot of hamburgers <laughs> yeah, and ice cream just exactly. layering up on top of each other. And it just, it's like a pile, like a trash dump. And you just keep layering more and more stuff on top. It's not what happens. And if you just do enough sit-ups, you can kind of shovel away the layers that are... That all, all the challah, the layers of challah, that are right? Outside, right, but it's not what's happening. In fact, <laughs> the whole space in the middle is constantly filling. Right. It's, it was a right. new way of looking at a same. At the it was same a, a revelation. Yeah, it was a revelation. Like, oh, the, the, it's all, the whole space is filled with it and the whole space is expanding. And just by having that 
how am I going to relate this to this mystery book I'm going to tell you? It's a, I have it. I, I, I know how. Tell me how. But say, say no, no. So say, I, because I, I, I used the same exact uh, analogy this morning in a different uh, really? class I was giving. And it, it wasn't about you know, my fat between the organs. I'm not talking about my fat, but it was, uh, it was about a person who studies medicine uh, without ever looking ins- inside a body. And he just feels things, right? Like, oh, I have some pain in the arm. Maybe it's broken, maybe something. I have this happening. This. And then one day he's, he, he gets x-rays. And he's like, oh my God, the stuff inside. And like you had the MRI, right? Oh my God, this fat in between the organs, <laughs> you know? So looking at suddenly all these sensations you were having, you couldn't just put them aside. You actually had a, you could see clearly the reason for the sensations, right? You could see the reason why you have pressure on this organ or that organ, something inside was not. So I think what you're trying to say, Seth, correct me if I'm wrong, is that what we're trying to do is to open this up and look inside and not let ourselves... The the way we look at anti-Semitism till today is that it's just potato chips and ice cream kind of piling up layer after layer on top of each other. And instead of understanding it's, it's an integral issue. Let's open it up and look inside and see the mechanics of what's going on. And it turns out it's not just what we see with our eyes. There's, there's, if, if, well, it is what we see with our eyes if we open up and look inside. But if we're just looking from the outside, we're not going to be able right. to understand the mechanics of what's really happening here. Exactly. And, and also look at it as one continuous chain rather than disparate events that are unrelated unrelated people, unrelated relationships and all that. And last week we finished with the definition of anti-Semitism by Wilhelm Marr. Everyone loves to quote him. When I speak to people about, do you know the roots of anti-Semitism? It's like, yeah, Wilhelm Marr. I'm like, no, he just gave it a name, but... Uh, he he but penned it, the word it, anti-Semitism. He, he penned that word, but his hatred of Jews and what was going on actually led to a, another mutation in the evolution of anti-Semitism. And from a religious, social thing, it now became a matter that you cannot escape, which was a matter of race. So you cannot marry out of, right, out of the faith. You cannot just look like everyone else. It was a racial thing. We, we know that it's not true. We know that there's no Jewish gene, but it doesn't matter. That's, that's the shape that it took at that time in the late 1800s. Everything that was going on from that, that moment just assumed a, a sinister overtone to it because now you were like a different race. So before you, were different. You, could, you could kind of, you could behave like them, you could convert or whatever, but here you're born with some mark and you can't, you can't cut it out. And not only that, and not only that, people, politicians started to use it in their campaigns, which was another big one. That's another, we know what happened in Germany in World War II was not the first time that uh, people started to use it. There's like plenty of, of examples in the late 1890s where people simply used anti-Semitism on their agenda like we see it happening today but it started then that was the beginning uh, there was a bunch of there's like a bunch of names and, uh, and dates here which we're not gonna bore the listener with people running with openly anti-semitic uh, agendas planks as they called so jews become a tool uh, for political gain electoral gain we know 40 years later the guy that made perfect use of that so the weird thing and that's the thing that we want to draw attention to is that whenever there's a rise in anti-Semitism, there's also a, an increased and intensified division within the Jewish fold. The one thing that we can talk about are disunity. And I think what we're learning here is that 
if the anti-Semites say that it's about our unity, if our, the old Jewish sages say it's about our unity, and it's the one topic that we don't want to talk about, maybe there's something to talk about. <laughs> Unlike Spain, which forced Jews to choose between banishment, death, or conversion to Christianity, uh, Germany was, was affected by liberalism and therefore permitted the Jews, who had by now been emancipated, to have, to have no religion. Moreover, they could, they could merge with the non-Jews while still remaining Jews and even wed non-Jews without relinquishing their birth religion. As a result, some, Leo, it's almost like we have a, a whole menu of the types of anti-Semitism you know, through the ages, all the different uh, flavors and variations. As a result, Jews began to intermarry as soon as they were emancipated albeit initially in very small numbers. In the first years after the emancipation in Germany, the percentage of intermarriage among Jews, where Jews married Protestant or Catholic Germans, was less than 5%. But by 1933, when the Nazis came to power, it was almost 30%, even higher. I'm saying again, I, have to, I feel like we have to qualify everything we say. We're not saying that a Jewish person marrying a non-Jew is a problem in and of itself. It's simply an indicator. It's an indicator of a departure from this ideal and it's a it's also an, an internal indication for that society oh look jews are trying to infiltrate our ranks right they they, they try to be more like us right yeah. and that actually creates the opposite effect on the next page it says uh 55 of jewish women in intermarried couples left the jewish faith and less than one half of christian husbands who married in a you know converted girl, to judaism yeah to judaism these are not mere statistics. These are never-before-seen levels of uh, intermarriage. They indicate the aspiration of the Jews, here we go, to abandon their roots and make their host country, in this case Germany, the New Jerusalem. As uh, Lowenstein puts it, uh, the desire of Jews to escape the Jewish community. As we will see, this desire is also precisely what Nazis stressed in their distinction between Zionist Jews and assimilist, assimilationist Jews. And the Nazis, as we'll learn in the next favorite. chapter, were uh, in favor of the former, in yeah. favor of Zionist Jews, which I was yeah. shocked to learn. Remind me what year we are here. We're after World War One. 1890s. Remember, there was like the birth of Zionism in the 1880s after the um, Russia. these uh, storms in the south. Right? That's happening in Russia. Meanwhile, the same emancipation happens in Germany. Jews join the the community. They they intermarry. They try to basically. Forget about this Jewishness. I want to quote a... Uh, he wrote this uh, post on Facebook. It says, uh, Brothers in arms leading to... It's like, a, it's like a chain, right? Like a circle, a loop. Uh, brothers in arms, then uh, a, an immense achievement, then unfounded hatred, then civil war, then destruction, exile, isolation, assimilation, social justice, anti-Semitism, brothers in arms. And it keeps repeating. It's just a cycle. I mean, that's the thing that we're trying to show. No, nothing in particular. It's not like, oh, social justice is bad or this is wrong or, or you know, marrying outside of the None of that. We're just looking at the patterns that shape this and trying to say we abandon, what will happen next. If we abandon unity, this is what's going to happen. You marry whoever you want. Sleep with whoever you want. If we abandon you, eat whatever you want. Eat whatever you want. Why should the uh, creator care if you slaughter the cow? What does the Talmud say? If you if you slaughter the cow yeah, on the front of the neck or the back? From the, exactly. If you don't, if you don't unite, 
you're gonna have trouble because the purpose of this people is to bring unity to all humanity, to be an example of unity to all of humanity. I wish people wouldn't wouldn't test us and wait to see what happens in America. I, I hope they actually t- take a look at history. Okay, and a few more episodes, bro. I'm, I'm, I'm so having such a hard time dealing with with what what I see in front of me it's like there's like chapters of this book that aren't even written yet you know it's like it's playing out in front of us right and, and so now this this is the part that gets really annoying like World War one comes uh, rolls in right uh, devastating Europe and everything and Jews fight side by side with you know next to Germans right and they die the same rate as non-jewish Germans. And in, in some ways, uh, it was, a, as this professor writes, it was a boon for Jews because they welcomed the war as a fight for justice, freedom, German culture, everything. But Germany was defeated in the war. And in 1919, you have the Treaty of Versailles, where Germany, as we said, has to pay reparations. And crisis hits, austerity hits. And when that happens, we know... Who's the go-to person hold on, hold when on. that something, stuff happens? Something just occurred to me. Put anti-Semitism aside. Put everything aside for one second. I, I want to do a little, we'll call it an aside. My, okay. my son's soccer team, okay? You have white kids. You got kids from South America, Guatemala, uh, Mexico. You have a lot of right. Indian kids. You have, uh, I think, a couple Chinese boys. Um, not sure if my kid's the only Jew on the team. It's like the United Nations. These kids are all together and everyone accepts everyone and everyone plays together and everyone sweats all over each other and everyone high fives when you score a goal and everyone sulks together if they get a goal scored on them. It's so touching to watch it. It's not even a thing. They don't even look at each other. You see them laughing on the sideline. You see them, you know, patting each other on the back, handing each other a water. They don't even see like when, when they're out there, nothing and, and the nerve okay. of us now to come and say that everyone just wants to be, everyone's an American together, fine. This one eats chapati at home and this one eats, uh, you know, egg rolls at home and, and this one eats whatever at home, fine. Yeah. But it doesn't matter. But when but we're together, we're all Americans. That premise doesn't hold water as soon as you grow up, as soon as you become conscious of yourself, as soon as you have all these feelings inside of you, as soon as media works on you and all that no, but suppose, other stuff. Suppose they grew up in a, in a society, like in, a, in a small bubble like that. Okay, this one's better at math, this one's better at business, this one's a good singer, and so they all, they make a little society together. Why do we have this? Th- that would be, be, listen, that would be a good experiment. They did this experiment with the biosphere. Remember the biosphere project? Yeah, I saw the, the video on YouTube. They all hated uh, each other after. Exactly. So this is not exactly the same example because they were adults so you could say well they already came in fed with all their toxic notions about each other you could say that although they were very homogenous there were no like no one stood out I don't think there were any black people among them or any other there was no like big racial rift between them it was a bunch of white people from the west coast I think nevertheless something erupted in them and it brought the whole project down there were other experiments that were done that brought out well, something from within us every ever every commune ever right or this, you know, Stanford prison experiment by uh, Philip yeah. Zimbardo that showed how, you know, just give a person a role. He becomes the best prisoner and he becomes the best war, uh, guard. And the, the minute later, they're going to kill each other, even though they were just brothers a minute ago. So there's things about the human nature. And some people learned how to tap them and work with them. 
Nazis, by the way, did a great job, and we'll talk about it next episode, about the masses and all that, mass phobia and all that. That's not the point. The point is that we are dealing with things that are beyond what we think are, is in our control. We think that we're just these little kids playing soccer, and why can't we just remain the little kids playing soccer into our 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s? But it's not happening. Something is disturbing the peace. I don't know what it is, and if it was just a matter of the 20th century, I would say, oh, it's media. Let's stop media. But since it dates back two, 3,000 years into the past, I would say, let's look at what can it be. And if we read in this book that there was a group that learned how to rise above that quality that separates people naturally, and that group learned how to do it, and they know how to do it, and now they're not doing it, and that's why everyone hates them, freaking let this sink in and, and do something about it. That's it. I'm, I'm holding myself back before we get to this quote here. Because if people heard it now, they just left the show. So I want to wait for the, last, for the right. end of the episode. Consequently, to many anti-Semitic Germans, the war was a great opportunity to prove that assimilated Jews were not really assimilating. Okay, so what's going on here? Just quickly in a word. The Jews assimilated, they fought with them, and now it's not enough. A striking similarity uh, to the accusations made by the anti-Semitic uh, Spaniards preceded the, the onset of the Inquisition, which eventually led to numerous executions and a complete expulsion from Spain. Uh, the Germans couldn't understand why Germany, Germany surrendered. After all, no army invaded, much less conquered Germany, and reports from the front did not disclose the grimness of the situation. As a result, there was only one possible explanation. Germany had been betrayed by socialists, and who were the socialists? Who were the left-wing liberals? You guess it. Yeah, okay. Once again, the, Jews. <laughs> the paradox of assimilated Jews being accused of not assimilating enough blew the wind out of the sails of the perpetual Jewish effort to become a normal people belonging to the nation where they lived. Just as it happened in 15th century Spain and 19th century Russia, the growing anti-Semitism did not stop the efforts of Jews to assimilate. If anything, it invigorated the efforts. And, and, and this is the point in the argument where someone would say, well, you know, you see, this is what happened. It's the fake news. It's the bad media. That's what killed us. And we're saying, no, it's just an expression of the same quality over and over again, even before there was fake news and media and all of that. So this, right? this, That's what we're, this doesn't mean that we need to make bagel culture you know, the number one culture. And no, it's not about bagel culture. It's not about a beard. It's not about wearing a yarmulke culture. What it, we're talking no. about when we talk about this Jewish thing is just, it's just the unity of people. That's the thing we're talking just, about. I think the time we're in right now is so crucial because we are in very, a very similar situation to the situation of beginning of post-World War I Germany. In this case, there's no world war. It was coronavirus, massive unemployment, uh, recession, people losing everything. It's still happening as we speak. And if you read what's happened in, in Europe, in, in Germany, they had these reparations, the payment, uh, you know, the cost of war had devastating consequences. The cost of living rose 12 times between 1914 and 1922. Uh, the government sought to uh, pay the reparations by simply printing more money. That sounds familiar. It's that tactic that never, never grows old. <laughs> printing more money, the value of the mark, German mark rapidly declines, leading to inflation. All of that stuff is happening, right? People are totally this unrest. So the next bit, Seth, I, I want us to talk about it, but instead of 
it talks about Germany after World War One, but I want the listeners, want the listeners to replace the word Germany with United, United States, States after the coronavirus. Because instead of Germany after World War One, it's going to be United States after the coronavirus. Okay, so we, we, read, we read, for example, Germany after World War One was a wreck, internally divided. You want us to think America after coronavirus was a wreck, internally divided. Violent exactly. crashes erupted in Berlin between right and left, between right-wing paramilitary organizations and left-wing agitators. As if casualties of war were not enough in uh, March 1919, uh, 15,000 Germans died in just 19 days of street fighting. In addition to Nine the violence, days. the German economy was shattered. The high reparation payments and the cost of the war had devastating consequences. The cost of living in Germany rose 12 times. Uh, when the government sought to pay reparations by printing more money, the value of the German mark declined, leading to hyperinflation. The exchange rate was 64 marks to $1 is basically a... And then three years later, it was basically it was a couple billion to one. No, a couple of trillion. Uh, no, sorry, a couple of billion. Yeah, 4.2 billion marks to one dollar. <laughs> In the midst of the uh, turmoil, Germany had managed to establish a genuine, albeit short-lived, democracy during those few years of existence of the Weimar Republic. There was freedom of speech, freedom of occupation, to work, freedom of worship. Thanks to this liberalism, And despite increasing anti-Semitism, German Jewry and post-World War I democratic Germany quickly climbed the ranks of society. Once again, the similarity between the rise of Germany's assimilated Jewry and the Spanish conversos are striking. So you, you had this time, it's the 1920s, we're in Germany now, you have democracy and it's very socially liberal. You have, uh, you know, with, with the Jews involved in all these things over there, the nightlife, the bars, you, a lot of... You had the, you had the Roaring Twenties, basically, happening 20s, in yeah. Germany. Yeah. Even as money was scarce and inflation was terrible, art, liberalism, everything was... Yeah, right, so there's this... Um, a sexual liberation was a very real phenomenon with gay and lesbian rights movement headed by, of course, a Jew... Dr. Magnus Hirschfeld, who ran the Institute for Sexual Science, and women were given full voting rights, even before they got them in the U.S. and the U.K. Artists were given freedom of expression, and Germany became the cultural hub of Europe. Yeah, when you read it, did you replace the word Germany with I U.S.? In a scary way, unfortunately, I did. So we don't need to read it again, but this time actually say U.S. <laughs> we get it. You always have Jews at the front of these uh, left-wing social movements, right? Pushing freedom for everyone, pushing equality. You always find Jews there. It's a wonderful quality. Very far left-wing liberal quality. Very nice. Uh, you also find within the Jews this right-wing thing of making friends with the leaders and selling arms and trying to be involved in the politics and everything. Also an important quality to have maybe more difficult to justify but it's important to have as well the issue is how do you unify these things because one without the other is not enough or or if I dare take it a step further dare maybe we don't even need to be doing all those things maybe our job is really just to focus on take those skills those innate skills of organizations and making connections and facilitating and all of that and applied to human connection apolitical 
a partisan, a financial, but only applied to people, to humans. Can we do that? Okay, this is, a, this is a much bigger thing that has to do with psychology, and we have to really get into that. It's, it's a bigger thing because today, for example, some Jew who's making $100 million, he doesn't need to make any more money in order to be able to maintain his lifestyle. He does it because he feels pride, he feels powerful. So what you're talking about is, is somehow he still needs to feel, right? We talked about it, the human nature is not going to change. He still needs to feel pride and powerful, but he needs to feel it around making unity, not around making another dollar. You know, exactly. and, on the, and on the other side, the, the Jews who maybe put the money aside, but say, blacks need rights and gays need rights and every single person needs rights. And this is an incredible thing we see with Jewish people throughout the ages, always pushing for the rights of everybody. But not at the expense of everyone else. That's the mistake there. Right? Not rights to these guys and rights to these guys, rather unity for everyone. Unity for everyone, for all humanity, which includes even the people you hate, that somehow they're included too. Even the Espe right Especially wing. those. Yeah, somehow they are included too. They came from a mom, they went to kindergarten, they had a hard time as kids too. And just because nature popped them out different than you. And, and, and maybe they also played in a, in a soccer league and they were friends with everyone when they were kids. And... But yeah. nature had other plans, and now I'm on the left, he's on the right, or he's up and I'm down, or whatever the division is, and we need to unite above it. And I think the conclusion from this episode is, is that the conditions are very similar. The, tw the, the, the 2020s are very much like the 1920s. We are almost, the parallels are scary. The, the repetition here is so almost precise, it's almost like a... It's like a VHS tape that you've made another copy of and another copy of. And it just, you can still read, you can still see the movie. It just gets a bit more distorted, more noisy, more, right, more muddy. But it's still the same story repeating itself. And I'm concerned that if we don't do something, it will set the stage for the same kind of personality that rose in the 1920s in Germany. And I want us to end with a quote from this person. I've been putting this off the Not, whole episode. Yeah, we, yes, yes. We, we didn't want to talk. Part of us feel like, oh, we shouldn't give him a stage. What and, is the, uh, what's the expression that religious people say when they, before they say his name or something, the name should uh, be eradicated? Ah, imach shmo shmo. Yeah, okay. We're not giving him a stage. This is not a call to arms. If you're an anti-Semite and you're listening to this, we're not encouraging you to go and get violent with the Jews. But it is interesting, and we'll, we'll say it now because... No, there is a but, because... Because once we start to read it, you know, if you don't like it, you, you know, you're going to leave. And I, I don't want you to leave. I want you to stay. I want you to listen. I want you to have that feeling in your guts like it's uncomfortable and you want to run away. That's okay. But if this guy, the guy who destroyed more Jews in all of history, speaks in terms similar to what are... Uh, nearest and dearest, Rabbi Akiva, right? If those people use the same terms, then I, I don't think it's propaganda. You know, he, he could use any other quality, any other sentiment. He does this. We saw there's no uh, shortage, I hope, I hope right? People can st are, are sticking with us to hear this. Well, let's, let's see, you know, and if this is the last time we see you, we, you know, you listen to us, then good luck, Avidas, and goodbye. As soon as egoism becomes the ruler of people, the bands of order are loosened, and in the chase after their own happiness, men fall from heaven into a real hell. Yes, even posterity forgets the men who have only served their own advantage. In the Jewish people, 
As soon as the common enemy is conquered, the danger threatening all averted and the booty hidden, the apparent harmony of the Jews among themselves ceases, again making way for their old causal tendencies. The Jew is only united when a common danger forces him to be or a common booty entices him. If these two grounds are lacking, the qualities of the crassest egoism come into their own, and in the twinkling of the eye, the united people turns into a horde of rats fighting bloodily amongst themselves. If the Jews were alone in this world, they would stifle in filth and offal. They would try to get ahead of one another in hate-filled struggles and exterminate one another. I hope we can find a, a reason to unite. I think there is a common enemy. I think we identified him in this podcast. I think it's our human ego. It's that tendency to exploit everything and everyone for my own personal pleasures. And if there was a group of people who knew how to cure that, how to rise above it, then we need it. We need us to do it. And uh, the common booty? Hell, I'll fight for a good common booty. It's better be eternal love as we read about before right i think it's worthwhile would you fight for it would you unite for it <laughs> you know just said I, i want us to prove hitler wrong i want us to show that we can unite where there is no common enemy and there is no common booty you think we can do it i know we can do it we have to do it we have to do it All right. Mm. We'll, 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 heavy, we'll, heavy, we'll heavy people, stuff. Yeah, we'll let people sleep on it. What can we learn from this? I hope that people will leave something in the comments. Uh, I, hope, I hope they really... I hope they, they stick with it because uh, I think there is a happy ending. But it's in, our, it's in our hands. We need to overcome this egoism and unite. Yeah. That's it. Live from Brooklyn. Everyone's waiting. Live from New Jersey. It's the Jew Function. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, everywhere at the Jew Function. We'll see you next week. Bye, guys. <laughs>